Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Yeah, my name is Michael Ribeiro, and I'm a uh, truth activist going back to 1994. And uh, I run a website, whatreallyhappened.com, and I have my own radio show over at the Republic Broadcasting Network out of Austin, Texas. Now, what really happened? How'd you come up with that site name? Because you talk about a lot of controversial subjects that a lot of people probably steer away from. But I think you put some important information on there as well, too. Well, uh, the name actually came about originally. Uh, I was putting my uh, political observations on a sub page at the uh, website I ran for my business, which was animation and visual effects and movies. Uh, and then I had to sort of spin it off into its own page. It was originally called Rancho Ronamucca. And then at some point I said, well, you know, we're just talking about what really happened. And that became the domain name. And it's been through uh, a couple of evolutions. In fact, we just recently upgraded the site uh, to Drupal 9. Uh, and uh, yeah, we cover a lot of subjects. We cover a lot of politics. We cover a lot of science and health and uh, uh, hidden history and that sort of thing. Now, when it comes to hidden history, how'd you first learn that there was something different than what was kind of being told in the history books? Well, believe it or not, I got put on this path in life entirely by accident. Uh, <clears throat> I was working in Hollywood and uh, doing special effects when they released that photograph, uh, supposedly of Vincent Foster's hand next to the gun with which he supposedly killed himself. Now, my business was knowing what looks real and doesn't look real on film. And the instant I looked at this picture, I said, there are so many problems with it. There's no blood spatter. Uh, the gun should have flown much further away from his hand. And uh, I went online to some chat boards about, uh, you know, there's a problem here. And uh, at that time, I was working for a project uh, for a company that shared the same building as CNN Hollywood. And we all did lunch at this same outdoor cafe. And I was, you know, showing them a hard copy of this picture and saying, this is what's wrong with this. And I remember the uh, CNN people just listening real intensely to me. And uh, that night we started getting the threatening phone calls and my career in Hollywood pretty much evaporated at that point. And so uh, since I suddenly had a lot of free time on my hands, I started doing a little more digging. And uh, I found where the FBI had lied on the FD302 form uh, during the interview with uh, Vince Foster's widow, where they tried to claim uh, that, uh, uh, well, they basically said there was a silver colored gun, and yet the gun found at the scene uh, was dark blue steel, and there were all kinds of contradictions like that. The final report uh, that Ken Starr put out didn't even mention the gun color. Uh, there were no fingerprints on the gun. Uh, and uh, they tried to claim they found a DNA trace that was consistent with Vincent Foster, which if it's human, it's going to be consistent. But the, the particular DNA actually carried markers uh, indicating a, an Hispanic individual, which Vincent Foster was not. And <clears throat> so I started going public on some of this stuff. And from there, it just sort of blossomed on up. And uh, like you, um, 
I'm a study uh, student rather of the JFK assassination uh, because uh, you know, like most people my age, I remember vividly exactly where I was standing and what I was doing when news came down that Kennedy had been shot and killed. And it was just like, you know, wow. And uh, having the instincts of an archivist, I had saved like all the magazines and newspapers I could from the incident. And uh, uh, following Jim Garrison's trial of Clay Shaw, I went back and started taking a closer look at it. And I saw all these obvious problems in the in the magazine photos that were the photos were set up to sell a certain idea, but they didn't line up. And uh, so I created a JFK page and then I went from there to TWA 800. Uh, the uh, false premises for the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, that brings us to the present day where I'm trying very hard uh, to bring some common sense to the discussion and say maybe World War III would not be a good idea. <laughs> you think um, just asking questions wouldn't get you in trouble. I spent my whole life people saying it never hurts to ask a question. Then once I got out of school, I started asking questions and then people were not liking, you know, the I guess the ability to try and give me an answer. And that that's what was difficult. It's like I, a lot of things I would think would be critical thinking. People would go, oh, that's conspiracy. I'm like, well, you can't just use that word like an umbrella term for every single thing. If I ask you, like, how come this says this and this says this? That's not a dumb question. But then you just get labeled a conspiracy theorist, which makes us like, OK, so are we not supposed to look into it or talk about it? Well, you know, believe it or not, the CIA actually invented the term conspiracy theorist uh, to use against those who were critical of the Warren report. Uh, they were pointing out all the witnesses uh, that had died suddenly following uh, the assassination. And uh, so they said, oh, conspiracy theorist, bad thing. And they just started using that as a broad paintbrush against anybody who was like questioning human caused global warming, uh, the safety and efficacy of the uh, COVID vaccines and so forth and so on. But, you know, they've overused it at this point. People hear conspiracy theory and it's well, it's not the bad thing it used to be. Well, may, you know, maybe there's something there because so many of these conspiracy theories have now become conspiracy fact. Now, when it comes to the JFK assassination and the document that you were just mentioning is 1095-360. It's a very important document. It's even scarier when you look at the bottom of it. It says destroy when no longer needed. You're like, well, how many documents have been out there like this and we just don't have because it says destroy when no longer needed on and they no longer needed stuff. But what is um when it comes to the JFK assassination, where do you particularly focus or what couple pointers that you started to notice that just didn't make sense? Well, the first and foremost situation is if it was a cut and dried case that Lee Oswald shot the president from the book depository, why are they still hiding files about it to this very day? And, you know, people can say, oh, conspiracy theory. But no, they that that's the reality they can see in the news where, you know, the Biden administration is trying to push back and push back and saying, well, there's still stuff that uh, we can't release. And you need to remember that the House Select Committee on Assassinations concluded that there had been multiple shooters in Dealey Plaza. Hence, by definition, there was a conspiracy. Even with the House Select Committee on Assassinations, if you look at the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee, the Warren Commission it's supposed to be to investigate the president's death, but it was Oswald did, and we're going to show you how. Now, the House Select Committee had a little bit more hope to it, but even when I had Blakey on here to explain it, he talked about the CIA was not being transparent with him. And you can see that through the document requests. There were denying access, denying access. There was a secret meeting or not even a secret meeting, an off-the-books meeting about 
we need to talk to Blakey because this could contain things of JM wave. And then that I don't have, he doesn't even remember what happened at that little dinner that they had that little discussion, but what you see in some of these documents. And I asked him about this because he went after MK ultra related material. And I go, you were asking for this and they were denying you, but then the CIA or whoever broke into your guy's safe and took a bunch of autopsy photographs out of their packaging and touched them. They had DNA fingerprints on it. That guy got fired. But then right after that, he's requesting for documents and they're giving it to him. I'm like, okay, so now they know, you know, you got them by the, the balls basically. So now you can get some good stuff. But then there was a hard stop when he starts going into the MK ultra stuff where I go, okay. So they weren't giving you full transparency. But also he told me when he went into that investigation, the guy told him, try and maintain the reputations of these people when they were alive. And I go, well, if you cover up scandal dirt, if you cover up anything that could be, it just might be useless to somebody, but I feel like you have to include it to be a hundred percent thorough. You're not going to include that. Or you're just going to feel like I'm going to stop right here and go in a different direction. Well, there was a lot of that going on. And, uh, you know, even the house select committee, uh, was leaning towards saying Lee Oswald acted alone, uh, but they kind of got trapped by the uh, Dallas police dictabelt, which carried a recording of the events in Dealey Plaza and established uh, an absolute timeline for the gunshots. And not only was it impossible to fire the, that many shots that quickly, there, there were certainly more than three gunshots. Uh, but they were able to use phase analysis and determine that the gunshots had come from multiple directions. And uh, so at that point, the uh, House Select Committee was uh, trapped and they had to say, well, there's indications of multiple shooters and therefore there was a conspiracy. It's interesting how some Warren Commission people and also um, conspiracy people all disregard the acoustical evidence whenever I, I talk about it, people, I don't Do you know why that is like they say it was recorded in a parking lot or something like that. Well, they're they're trying to maintain the cover and they're, uh, uh, you know, as you pointed out, the Warren Commission was never about actually investigating uh, the death of John Kennedy. In fact, the whole reason the Warren Commission was formed was to hijack jurisdiction, because at that point there was no federal law regarding presidential assassination. The legal jurisdiction to investigate the crime was in Dallas. And uh, they needed an excuse to grab all the evidence and take it off to Washington, D.C., so they formed the Warren Commission. And I find it very interesting that one of the members of the Warren Commission was John J. McCloy, president of the Chase Manhattan Bank and president of the World Bank. Now, he may be a really good banker, but he doesn't know anything about homicide investigation. And so he was there to serve some other interest. And, uh, you know, a lot of this ties in with uh, Richard Nixon. If you remember, before he resigned, uh, they ginned up an excuse to get rid of uh, Spiro Agnew. And then they brought in Gerald Ford because they knew Nixon was either going to be impeached or step down. And Gerald Ford had served on the Warren Commission. So everybody knew that Gerald Ford would keep the cover up in place, you know, despite the many links back to some of uh, Nixon's henchmen. When it comes to the appointed members of the Warren Commission, did you start to notice that this was kind of like the A-team? Like they picked the people with the best reputations, the most expertise, the ones that names that people would see like, oh, well, he's good. He's on the job. He's going to do a great job. But none of them were like even really there for any of the meetings or any of the interviews. I think it was Alan. I don't know if it was Alan Dulles or who it was that sat in on the most, but I think that was even like 6% of the number of whatever the evidence that was getting, I guess, distributed. Yeah, and, and why was Alan Dulles even on the Warren Commission? Kennedy had fired him. 
following the Bay of Pigs. And so it's like, you know, Dulles was not going to be objective or impartial in the investigation. It's just the idea of a blue, whatever, blue ribbon committee. It to me is just like, this is perfect if you're going to try and publicize this. And if you look at them, they did a lot of publicity stuff when it came to the Warren Commission. But then you have the dissenters or the people that were saying, I saw something different. They weren't given time by the Warren Commission. And then here's the interesting thing. How much do you think about the involvement of Dallas police in all this? I mean, well, there was definitely some involvement because, um, uh, do you remember the name uh, Ray Vaughn? He was the Dallas uh, police officer who was accused of letting uh, Jack Ruby into the basement uh, to gun down uh, Lee Oswald. And shortly after that, he got promoted to chief of police of Midlothian, Texas. Now, when you have somebody who's done something uh, that bad, you generally don't promote them unless they were doing it on behalf of somebody else. And uh, yeah, a lot of the people who were in key positions uh, in Dallas, uh, they got promoted after this whole thing went down. Yeah, it's interesting. The Secret Service, nobody got fired. It's like your one job was to protect the president. And they'd been out drinking the night before, which is, uh, you know, a violation of Secret Service protective detail rules. And people say that, like, JFK ordered him off the car. That's not what happened. If you watch the video, the guy even turns around and looks at the car behind him and sticks his hands up. I've seen that video. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's very – the Kennedy assassination – to me, once you really kind of start diving into it, you realize that it's more than just like it wasn't Oswald that did it. There's just a lot of stuff going on. But when it comes to the documents that they might be hiding, do you think that there was something in there, maybe something top secret when it came to like we know about the assassination attempts with Castro? Or do you think it's more like their involvement in the cover up? Because I know a lot of people go like the government did it. And I was with that for a while, too. I'm still kind of in that boat. But I feel like a lot of this comes down to how the agency looks. And you look at this when you see the 21 release and you see the garrison investigation. They call it garrison's attempts to embarrass the agency. And I go, you don't have your government acting as a voice of the people or a force of the people you have a government looking at you as a problem if you do try and steer up anything that could be in their eyes a threat to national security so i go yeah meaning their self-image yeah so i mean dallas police why did the warren commission say dallas police had no ties with jack ruby we know that's a lie he knew most of the members so the only thing I could think of are, is the Warren Commission also trying to protect the interest of the Dallas police agency. But then why? So then you got to look or the mafia. Off. Jack Ruby was a paymaster for organized crime in the area. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Oliver Stone really did uh, hit a lot of the important points in his movie JFK. The one that he should have gone into was uh, that uh, there was more than just one player involved, that there was more than one agency. You had CIA hated Kennedy for the Bay of Pigs fiasco. You had organized crime hated Kennedy uh, for appointing Robert Kennedy, uh, attorney general, and declaring a war on the mafia. Uh, Again, as I mentioned before, uh, Israel uh, resented Kennedy for trying to prevent them from getting nuclear weapons. And it just went on and on. You had the Pentagon was opposed to Kennedy because he wanted to end the war in Vietnam. And uh, so there were a lot of different players. And uh, I I think this was uh, uh, a a true conspiracy in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of different players in on this uh, same situation. Uh, We know that there were multiple shoot teams. 
uh, at Dealey Plaza, uh, not just from behind the uh, uh, the picket fence. Uh, there was a shooter in the Daltex building, and there was a uh, another shooter uh, within the uh, school book depository, but lower down from where uh, Oswald had been told to wait. So, yeah, this was a pretty uh, pretty significant operation. Now, if you were going to do an investigation into the president or just a couple flaws, obviously you can point out when it came to the Warren Commission, what would some of those be? Well, the first thing I'd want to do is find out what the heck happened to John F. Kennedy's brain. It had been in the National Archives. And that would really tell us, you know, if there was, in fact, this major headshot, which everybody denied. And, uh, you know, I'd like to find out that information. I mean, that magic bullet theory, I can't even believe how many people actually fell for that one. And, uh, you know, Connolly went to his grave insisting that he'd been hit by a, a separate shot from the one that hit Kennedy. And I remember, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the attorney general under Clinton. When Connolly died, she one day said, well, maybe we should have his leg autopsied and get the fragments of the bullet uh, out of there. And then the next day, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Because if the fragments, you know, if you look at that commission exhibit, the so-called magic bullet, there's no mass missing from it. And if there were a lot of uh, bullet fragments in Connolly's thigh, that would blow the whole magic bullet theory. Well, to me, what's interesting is Arlen Specter in that whole situation. You have this young guy like out of law school, basically, and, you know, he creates this whole thing. And that, that was his whole, I guess, rise to stardom, his rise to fame. I think Tom O'Neill in his book Chaos, when he was talking about the Manson murders, he saw the connection because if you look at Jack Ruby, which is this is where I tend to focus. Everyone's got a specific area, but the Jack Ruby connection thing. Jack Ruby's psychiatrist was Joyon West. Now, if you know anything about MK Ultra, Joyon West, there was scandals about him being tied to MK Ultra. He lied till basically he died. Then it came out after his death with Tom O'Neill's book about the Manson murders. Not only was he the psychiatrist for Jack Ruby before he went crazy, he was the one that administered a flu shot. Jack Ruby said they gave me cancer. He was also a therapist for Marilyn Man uh, Charles Manson. He was a therapist for Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber. Um, he was the uh, psychiatrist for Donald DeFreeze and the Patty Hearst kidnapping. He's the one that dosed an, an elephant on LSD, like cooked it to death. That's him. There's a popular video of him. You can see that. Now, his name is attached to every single. And I looked him up. If you look up what he does on Wikipedia, says that he's a CIA. He was hired by the CIA to use his hypnosis and brainwashing skills and LSD to brainwash Korean war victims. And well, I went to the CIA website. Show me the files on Joylon West. Nothing's there. But where I did find him was stamped at the bottom right of every single one of Jack Ruby's psych psychiatric records. So you start getting into this land of like, okay, does this tie into the MK Ultra stuff? Why was Blakey requesting for documents about MK Ultra if this was involved? Then you got the other guy, the main one, Sidney Gottlieb. Where's where do you find his name in the JFK documents? On the assassination attempts of Castro. He's tied there with Lumumba and he's tied there with um, Fidel Castro. And then there's like 12 other members that are listed there as well, too. So you start going, OK, how deep does this all go? Well, you know, we've heard a lot about MK Ultra, and it was uh, uh, derived from the Nazi program MK, which was <clears throat> for mind control. And when the CIA took it over, they added the Ultra to make it hip. And uh, they've arguably had some successes which they'd like to keep secret. Uh, they've had a couple of failures that they'd like to keep secret. I don't know if you ever heard this story where for nine years, MKUltra uh, kept a bordello in San Francisco. 
and uh, they would bring, you know, John's. Back, oh, Operation Midnight Climax. Which combination of LSD and kinky sex would get them to open up about whatever? The, and uh, finally, uh, the new leadership came into the CIA and they said, "We're spending money on this," and they shut it down. <laughs> it's uh, that was Operation Midnight Climax. Charles. Mason that was it. That was there, the name yeah. of it. Yes. What's interesting to me is like the, the when Joyon West was a part of that, but there was letters back and forth to some of these young students because that's what happened is that the CIA were on these college campuses, the FBI were on these campuses, but they would get people from these colleges, people like UCLA, like Joyon West, UCLA professor. Oh, wait, it was either UCLA or Ohio. Sidney Gottlieb was from UCLA or Ohio as well. And um, but they would get these students and be like, hey, we're going to get you to dress up as hippies and lure these people. And you're just like, what is going on? It makes you question so much. And then when that gets labeled a conspiracy, it's like, I don't know how else to try and prove that we have documents now. But even then, that's like transcripts because they ended up destroying most of the MK Ultra documents. Yeah, but I mean, that whole thing about, you know, dosing college kids with LSD to see what was going to happen with them, that kicked off the LSD craze. You know, kind of kind of Frankenstein like monster uh, that arose out of that. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy stuff out there. Now, when it comes to the JFK assassination, to even understand the CIA or the FBI or any of this type of craziness with cover ups, missing brain, any of this, did you have to look into the history of what the FBI had done before or what they had done after? I mean, I looked I went right directly to so, Watergate. Very much so. I'm old enough to uh, have experienced COINTELPRO directly. Uh, my house actually got one of those Black Panther coloring books. And I remember at the time wondering, why are they sending this to us? But it was all over the news that Black Panthers are evil and uh, they want to kill police officers. And of course, the whole thing turned out to be an FBI fake that came out in the 1970s. Uh, there was the staged riot at Disneyland the day the hippies took over Disneyland. And uh, it was done to discredit the anti-war movement. And it actually did work. You know, the American people lost all sympathy for the anti-war movement because they saw those hippies beating up on Mickey Mouse. What? Oh, you never heard about that? I've never I've I, I've read the FBI. There's like 700 files on Walt Disney. And the first one is like really, really vanilla. It's like we're going to insert uh, FBI agents into Mickey Mouse cartoons so the kids can love Mickey. Then at the ending of it, like you get 700 pages in. It starts going, uh, Walt Disney was ratting out people that were striking up labor unions, calling them communists. Well, it gets a little deeper than that. <laughs> um, uh, Walt Disney um, <clears throat> got involved with the FBI because he and Roy were orphans. And he asked J. Edgar Hoover for help in trying to locate their birth parents. And once he did that, he was sort of on Hoover's hook. And very early in Walt Disney's career, he was partnered with another animator named Walter Lance, and they had a cartoon out called Oswald the Rabbit. And then their partnership broke up. There was a big legal fight, and Walter Lance wound up with Oswald the Rabbit. Uh, Walt Disney then went on to create Mortimer Mouse, which who was renamed Mickey Mouse. Walter Lance went on to create Woody Woodpecker. And when uh, uh, this whole House um, uh, Committee on Un-American Activities uh, cranked on up, Hoover called uh, to Walt Disney and said, we need your help. Find out the communists uh, who are operating inside Hollywood. And the very first communist that Walt Disney named was Walter Lance. Oh, my <laughs> God. Payback is terrible. And um, it was, uh, you know, and... Um, you know, uh, I mean, the government kind of screwed over Disney uh, kind of royally because once 
uh, you know, Disney had done that to Walter Lance. He was blackmailable. And the Disney studio cranked out all kinds of propaganda films for World War II. And when World War II was over, the government stiffed him on the bill. You can't work with Hoover ever. You have to. Like... Well, no, this went, be, this went above Hoover. This went all the way up to Truman. Okay, so that, that was the Truman's involvement then. Well, somebody working for Truman said, we're not going to bother paying this cartoon. Uh, you know, we've got other bills we need to pay first. Did you look at like I, I had to look at the FBI's involvement into Hollywood and kind of like this rooting out for communists and things of that sort. But I've also spoken to people that talk about the DOD and the CIA, a guy who just did a film called Theaters of War that looks at how they're still influencing scripts today. And I start going. So who is involved more in what? I see the FBI more against like with all the COINTEL stuff, but then I see the CIA doing things with drugs against populations. It's not just happening overseas. It's happening here as well. No, and the CIA is not supposed to operate inside the U.S. borders, but they do it anyway. As far as the FBI in Hollywood, uh, yeah, they're looking for communists, although that's kind of passe in this day and age. Uh, but what the FBI does actively do is you know, uh, look after the FBI's image in films and TV. Now, um, you're probably not old enough to remember it, but there was this film came out called The FBI Story. Uh, it starred Jimmy Stewart and uh, you know, was a, a well-received film and everything. What most people don't know is that J. Edgar Hoover was actually on the soundstage telling the director how to direct Jimmy Stewart to present the best pos possible positive image for the FBI. And Hoover actually appears once in the film, but only from the backside. I knew they had rules like um, the FBI could shoot as many times as they want, but the bad guys, if they shot, they had to miss. Like it had to be this sense of like when the FBI comes on screen, they don't ever take any damage. There's nothing bad that ever happens to them. And it wasn't just that either. He investigated actors to make sure that the people that would be playing him had no scandals, no drug addiction problems, none of that, which I mean, that makes a little bit more sense. But it's then it's like, does this person immediately become groomed to be an FBI actor in every single film? And then you have to start checking every single film with the FBI and see if this dude's name pops up. Well, you know, the FBI has informants in all the studios, just like they do uh, pretty much everywhere else in our country, uh, all the universities and so forth. And uh, yeah, they'll, uh, they'll look uh, at what's going on. In fact, what's interesting, getting on back to Oliver Stone's JFK, uh, the media started criticizing the movie before it ever came out. And it turned out that an FBI undercover person at the studio stole a preliminary draft of the screenplay and leaked it to the FBI, who then went to the media assets and said, oh, you got to shut this down. They're saying terrible things. Yeah, if you look on the FBI website right now, there's platoon documents, there's JFK documents. And I mean, Oliver Stone is an award-winning uh, director. So even if you did not like some of the stuff he might have added into JFK to kind of you know sink in the message a little bit, you're, it's when the FBI is writing messages and documents about you saying that this is damaging to your guys' credibility, that is not good. And that's when you start looking at like, well, I mean, he's, it's just a movie, right? People are just going to take away that it's a movie. And it's like, no, they see that as more of a threat. And that's never good. No, it isn't. And, um, you know, it's not just movies. There were books as well. Um, when I was uh, working down in Australia on a project, I went to a bookstore because I like to read. And there was a book called Operation Black Eagle. And it was all about the uh, uh, U.S. involvement in uh, Noriega's Panama. They were using it as a drug transshipment point. These were the days of Barry Seal 
and uh, that whole situation. And, uh, you know, it was a really good book and a good expose about what was going on. So um, when, you know, I, I came back to the USA, I gave my copy of it to somebody. And then I went to the bookstore and I said, I'd, I'd like to buy another copy of this book. And they went, what? We've never heard of it. You know, it's, it's just, no, there's no such thing out there. So when you start looking into a lot of this stuff, I mean, for me, I've been trying to compact it in for, I mean, I've known kind of, I've always believed in a deep state for a while, but when it came to like the JFK stuff, I've been trying to compact like 60 years into three months. And um, it's make me kind of go a little bit insane with it. Just like you start kind of wondering like, how deep does everything go? And I mean, just through how long have you been, you know, from your site and kind of putting up pages about a lot of these um, taboo subjects, how long have you been doing this to a point where, I mean, do you, are you churning a lot of heads with this? Are you trying to show people like, Hey, I got the documentation lined up. Like it took me a couple months to get a bunch of JFK documents so I could just show on hand to people. Well, I have a, a lot of stuff that's uh, archived. And like I said, we just overhauled the site. So I'm starting to rebuild and put stuff back into it. Uh, but um uh, yeah, I, I've been doing this, well, like I said, since 1994, uh, and uh, as time has worn on, it's gotten a little bit more intense. Uh, I tend to focus more on things that are happening now. I mean, JFK is an important point in uh, U.S. history. You know, we talk about the Pearl Harbor deception, Lusitania deception, and so forth. Uh, but mostly we look at what is going on today, because, you know, something that's back like the JFK assassination, people tend to be open to it because it happened a long time ago and it doesn't matter anymore, even though it actually does. So most of my efforts these days have been put into uh, this whole COVID situation, uh, massive election fraud. That's my top issue is we've got to get honest elections back in this country and uh, uh, all these ridiculous wars that we are wasting so much money and so many lives on. Why do you think that we're randomly going into these pointless wars that just go on for decades? And it's for the military industrial complex. It's got to be sometimes I've heard many theories. I've even heard stories from soldiers like of reasons why we're in Vietnam. They're like regarding poppy fields for no apparent reason. That's well, more they're, of a they're definitely thing. doing that in Afghanistan. I got the photos of it, too. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it certainly benefits the military industrial complex. But wars are being fought for economic reasons. The war in Ukraine actually goes back to 2014 and the U.S. backed coup d'etat that took out Yanukovych uh, because uh, uh, Yanukovych was sort of uh, leaning toward joining with the Russian Republic. And, uh, you know, the U.S. and the West and NATO have been uh, trying to encircle Russia uh, for decades now. And so they put in um, uh, Poroshenko, the, the chocolate maker, followed by the comedian Zelensky. And uh, uh, the whole idea is Russia is pushing back because there's, you know, when the Ber when Germany was re united when they uh, put it all back into one germany nato made a promise to russia that they would not expand any more to the east and then proceeded to break that promise time and time and time again so from russia's point of view they're seeing nato trying to get into a position where they can put missiles able to reach moscow in a very 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 short period of time this is actually tragically a replay of the circumstances that led to the cuban missile crisis where the u.s was putting jupiter nuclear tip missiles in Turkey, and uh, that prompted Khrushchev uh, to send nuclear missiles to Cuba, both because of uh, balancing the threat from Turkey and also because Cuba was worried there was going to be a second attempted invasion uh, like the Bay of Pigs. And uh, so we're, we're, in, we're as close now to a nuclear confrontation as we were back then.
when we have the media reporting on things like this, did you find it weird that we had the media like basically just dismissing Ukraine months before there was even this Russia involvement at all? They were just talking trash on Ukraine. But then immediately when Russia gets involved, it immediately flips the script and it starts being our heart goes out to Ukraine. And it seems to be a bunch of people changing their profile pictures. And I just start going... I mean, do people forget that fast? There's no way, but it's kind of like this flip-flop, like there's a two-face kind of on screen compared to what's actually going on behind the works. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you look at the medias out there saying we're afraid of a humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, and then you look back at Iraq where the U.S. was running all these torture centers like Abu Ghraib, and, you know, it just doesn't line on up. But um, our present government, which I refer to as the gerontocracy because of the extreme age of the people uh, that are out there. I mean, I consider myself an old man, but I'm a kid compared to some of our current rulers. And uh, uh, they grew up in an age when the American people were very naive and very trusting. And whatever the government and the corporate media said, that's what they would believe from that day forward. Uh, that environment really does not exist anymore. Uh, recent polls are showing that Americans are very disaffected with the corporate media. Uh, their readership, viewership numbers are going down. Uh, the readership and viewership of the independent media is going on up. Uh, the last poll I saw had 57% of Americans are concerned uh, that fraud is affecting the outcome of our elections. Hasn't there always been election fraud, though? Oh, yeah, it goes, uh, even Kennedy, uh, he cheated uh, Nixon out of it. And uh, so that's that's another reason why the uh, organized crime were angry with him, because uh, they helped him do it. Then he turns around and stabs him in the back with Robert Kennedy. Uh, but yeah, there's been uh, election fraud. People can look up the Battle of Athens, Tennessee, as uh, one very notable historical point. Uh, there was a wonderful book that came on out by the Collier brothers called Boat Scam, uh, about election fraud during the Clinton years. And uh, yeah, people are always trying to steal elections. But you know something? That doesn't make it all right. It doesn't make it acceptable. The fact that they got away with it you know, in the past does not convince me to let them get away with it today. Yeah, the main point of that is the fact that they deny that there was election fraud. And it was like, well, there's always been voter fraud in the past. And you're saying that there's not any on this one? Why is it? Why is this one an exception? You could just say it was like a small amount, but they were like, there's none at all. None at all. It's 100% real. You don't have to look into this at all. And I think it was even, um, is Alex, it's not Alex Epstein. It might be Robert Epstein, the guy who was on Joe Rogan talking about Google and the power that Facebook had as well, too, to influence. All they had to do was when they run an ad or something, somebody runs an ad, there's these un, un, I guess, decided voters and Facebook can target up to like, I think it's like a couple million people with that, that can influence, let's say, if you just said Hillary Clinton, it could influence Hillary Clinton voters because they would just show them nothing but Hillary Clinton ads and a bunch of things like that never show the other side. And then I think it's uh, Mark Zuckerberg when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast. It's very boring, but when you get like an hour and a half in, one thing he does say, he says, the FBI reached out to me and said that there's some Russian disinformation going around the internet. And I want you to make sure that whenever this pops up, you ban it, okay? It's not real. And it was the Hunter laptop, Biden's son's laptop. And everyone heard that like, what? And people go, why is he just saying it now? And I go, did you not notice a couple months before when he was up in court from some Facebook whistleblower that came out of nowhere that was trying to expose him. And he was like, what the hell is going on? And he seemed like a kid that or deer that was caught in headlights. He thought that the FBI was going to get him out or somebody was going to clear all this up. It went away, 
but he got blasted on the internet. And then I guess he just waited till he got on Joe Rogan and uh, I guess abused his power to a, a 4 million, whatever listening audience. Yeah. Now we've got the New York times admitting that the Hunter Biden laptop was real all along. And you couldn't talk about it. You couldn't even send a link about it. People called you a conspiracy theorist if it does. And that's the dangers of what happens when you manipulate the public's consciousness at such a level. For years, it's been manipulating through media and so many aspects of things. And now people don't know what to believe. And when something does come out and it is real, it can just be labeled a conspiracy because nobody knows what to believe in anymore. Well, that's actually a good thing because if people are distrusting of everything put in front of them, right or wrong, it's going to be a lot harder to sway them. And, uh, uh, you know, there are uh, many people in our, our country who don't want to think the government is capable of evil. Their, their comfort zone is the government is good, and uh, I'm just going to stick with that. These people will never look at the evidence, and uh, you shouldn't waste your time with such people. Uh, but what I have found more and more is that people are open uh, to looking at what's going on. They're very concerned, especially parents. Parents right now are very concerned about the world their children are going to grow up in. And uh, so, yeah, it, I think people really are waking up. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at what's happening uh, in China and Brazil over the, uh, uh, well, in the case of China, it's the COVID lockdown. In Brazil, it's election fraud. And I, I think this push to build a global government may have created a political climate leading the global revolution. But we should have learned from our mistakes when we had one man like J. Edgar Hoover that was trying to be the uh, world police, in a sense, going over to Latin America and going over and just invading a bunch of areas he was not inclined to. We saw what all that power does to one person. I wouldn't – I mean it could infect a whole group of people like our government. I mean do you believe in the Hoover blackmail stuff? I've heard that. I've seen the photo of him in a dress. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, his so-called private files. I mean, we we know that uh, Hoover blackmailed John F. Kennedy at one point over one of Kennedy's uh, liaisons, as it were. And that's why uh, Hoover uh, got to be uh, FBI director for life, as he had, uh, you know, all the blackmail information on all the top politicians and anybody who stood up against him got uh, destroyed. When it comes to the issues or all the weird stuff that goes on between basically every single president, Kennedy, Johnson, Clinton, all this. I mean, did you look into just how weird that kind of fraternity type style or that they always have something about them that is just out of the ordinary way more to a point where you're like, whoa, and it is gets labeled as conspiracy. Well, I think anybody with that kind of money or that kind of power they start to see themselves as kind of above and apart from the general population. Uh, Andrew Carnegie actually held the belief that the super rich were an entirely different species of human being. And, uh, you know, you get to that attitude and, you know, you, uh, you start thinking, well, the rules don't apply to me anymore, or I get a thrill out of being able to break the rules with impunity. Uh, let's look at Jeff Epstein. And, uh, you know, he's supposedly gone on to his maker. Personally, I think he's playing canasta with Ken Lay down in the Cayman Islands. But, but you what's think really he's still alive? 
uh, it's possible that story about hanging himself, you know, when I the cameras the were broken him. and everything. It doesn't doesn't feel right. But the point I'm making is even after what Epstein was doing became publicly known, you know, celebrities like Oprah Winfrey, they wanted to be with him and they all pal around with him. It's, it's like the upper level of our society uh, is OK with pedophilia. And uh, the rest of us lower down, you know, we understand it's it's something kind of icky. I would have said, because usually whenever something's going on, I say try and look through history to find a prior event that might be kind of similar. And the only thing I could think of with child pedophilia besides like Bohemian Grove stuff is like um, the Franklin scandal. And Nick yes. Bryant has done great work on that. But people go, oh, because Wikipedia says it's a hoax. So yeah. it's like, oh, it's just this scandal that came out back in the day. It's not real. And it's like, well, it is real. There was a lot of that going on. But you also have the media that's captured. If you talk about Operation Mockingbird, of course, yes. they're not going to start digging into the CIA like that. They, CIA has so many you know, dirt on everybody. Well, uh, part of Operation Mockingbird is that all the top executives at all of the main media uh, are working for CIA. There was an interesting story that happened again back during the Clinton years where <clears throat> uh, Sally Denton and Roger Morris uh, did a story. This was after Barry Seal got killed. And uh, they had managed to uh, acquire all the files and information he was carrying around in the trunk of his car. And they wrote a very well-documented story, uh, you know, about Clinton, you know, the, the crimes of Mina, Clinton, Bush, so forth and so on. And uh, they took it to their editor at the Washington Post. Now, the managing editor at the time was Bob Kaiser. And Bob Kaiser, like George Bush, is a uh, fraternity or an alumni of Skull and Bones. And uh, even though Washington Post's lawyers had fact-checked the story and said, this is solid, he spiked the story anyway, wouldn't even meet with the uh, reporters. He sent his secretary out to tell him to go away. Ultimately, though, Bob Guccione at Penthouse published the story. And, of course, the media was, well, how can you trust anything in that magazine with all the naked ladies in it and everything? Uh, but at least it did get out there. And it was about, you know, this massive drug running operation. It was a continuation uh, of what had started in Vietnam with uh, Kunsa's uh, opium coming out of the Golden Triangle. Air America was ferrying it all over the place. It was being shipped back to the United States inside the Vietnam dead body bags. Then when Vietnam went away as a drug source, they turned to the south and started bringing uh, cocaine in. And uh, there was a guy named Gary Webb wrote a, a series of articles called Dark Alliance, talking about how the CIA was bringing cocaine uh, into the United States and they set up uh, Freeway Ricky Ross out in Los Angeles. I actually got to meet him once. And, uh, you know, they were responsible for the crack epidemic because they wanted a source of financing that Congress had no control over. And uh, Gary Webb was uh, had his career destroyed and, and ultimately committed suicide by shooting himself in the back of the head twice. That sounds a lot like the Clinton kill list. Yes, that's real, though. I mean, you see, I, I can ask you these two questions when it comes to the, if you want to explain a little bit about the Clinton kill list, because I'm very rough on that. But I know there's a lot large amount of names on there that went in mysterious ways but then also we got to talk about the witnesses to the jfk assassination in a matter of three to four years i thought i heard somebody mention on my show and i looked his name up and they said he died by a throat chop yeah it's not just one guy there's at least four people that died by a throat chop and i showed someone who's including not a uh, dorothy kilgallen's companion 
So I didn't show, I have like, there's a, uh, my manager at work. I, she's not into any of that conspiracy stuff. I just walked over to her. I go real quick, read this. She reads it and it says like a guy walked out of a shower. He's about to write a book on the Kennedy assassination, gets a throat chop right to his throat and die. I go, what kind of like person breaks into a house and just throat chop somebody? She goes, no, that's an expert killer. I mean, how do you, how do you even do that properly to, and I go, okay, so you see that now let's try and look at these. And I don't think it's 120 of them, but I think there's a good, like 50 or 60 that are easily just weird deaths, man, a single car, whatever uh, crash on a one, whatever a road. Well, there's Vincent Foster to begin with. Uh, Mary, I think her name was uh, uh, either Mahoney or Maloney. She was having an affair with Bill Clinton. My favorite one is uh, this guy who was uh, going to meet a reporter to give some dirt on the Clintons. And he was an, uh, a pilot and he basically got in his plane, took off, the plane caught fire. He managed to get back to the airport rented a second airplane, took off, that plane exploded and crashed. Good God. They were really working to get him. Uh, there was another one who supposedly died of a uh, overdose of mouthwash in the dentist's chair. That's on the Clinton list? That's on the Clinton list. An overdose of mouthwash. Yeah. I don't get that one. And the rest are all tragic suicides, you know, so. <sighs> What about the JFK witnesses? Uh, well, like you said, a lot of them uh, uh, were, were physically attacked, throat chops. Uh, uh, some, uh, there's no explanation. It simply said, well, they're dead. We don't know how, but that's, you know, they're gone. That's what's interesting to me is the fact that no reporter or anybody that's doing any independent stuff that wanted to question any of this i mean dorothy kilgallen was close so i'm just looking into ruby but when it comes to some of these deaths like i was i had to look and try and find like i can see articles like guy died but there's never a full explanation or like an investigation and so why did this guy die why did they not do an autopsy on him after he had a heart attack how do you deem that this person had a heart attack if you don't do an autopsy yeah i mean that to tell if you're being lied to or deceived Look for what should be there and isn't. And if there's a big gap in the story where there should be a piece and it's not there, then you're being lied to. And then I, if you, I mean, I can ask you this question, but the number of people that have come out in recent years after it's been so much time, and this is with the Kennedy assassination, um, a, a lot of times you can chalk it up to people maybe writing another book. I think Clint Hill finally, after all these years, reversed his opinion. Um, and said that he doesn't remember actually seeing a back hole in Kennedy's head, but he made a new book about it. So you just toss everything out the window there. But these people, I mean, that came out recently, they never looked for media attention. They never looked for anything. And it was, for me, I feel like it's probably because they're scared. I mean, you see a number of people that just died in a matter of four to five years, 20 year olds. I think there was two 20 year olds that died. Um, and then everyone's like thirties, forties, nothing insane, but the fact that they all happen to be at this time and place. And then in a matter of if they're getting called to testify or they just testified and then they get bunked off in some weird way. Yeah. Well, so like I said, with Gary Webb, two bullet holes in the back of the skull. Oh, it's a suicide. Definitely a suicide. And, uh, you know, you got to feel sorry for the Clintons. So many of their friends have just committed suicide. That's got to be very tragic and sorrowing for them. That's, I just I don't see hanging out with them being that boring. But no, I would prefer not to hang out with them. Um, 
yeah, all these types of things and you really kind of start talking about it. But I feel like, have you ever listened to Vincent Salandria before? Occasionally, yes. He's a, a lot of the things in the, uh, he was in on my buddy's documentary, um, The Assassination of Miss Payne. But when they had him interview him, I asked him, my buddy Max, I said, when you interviewed him to put him into the film, you kind of let him just talk. And um, I don't have any problem with that. It's just if people are very new to anything government corrupt. Just how me and you are talking right now is going to be like, people are like, whoa, conspiracy, and they're going to shut it off. But then there are people that are at our speed that will know what we're talking about because they've seen whatever we've mentioned before. When I hear Vincent Salandria talk, even I'm like, whoa, like because I don't know some of the stuff. And I just know he's seen stuff I haven't seen. And it's like you're about to have a large gap in the population of people that don't want to know or don't care to know. And then you're going to have a bunch of people that want to know the truth or might listen to independent sources like yours or anybody else out there that could be talking about things that we're talking about anti whatever. And they're going to be there's going to be that gap where there's not going to be any talking anymore. And I know you mentioned like, you know, if someone doesn't understand or they call it conspiracy, you just leave them, you know, no worth time, I guess, convincing them. But when that giant gap comes, it's much like we have with the left and the right right now, that giant gap in between them. It's like, we don't want that with just average people questioning abuses of, I guess, ethical rights when it comes to our government or when it comes to anything. Well, I, I personally think at the moment that the government is pushing a little too hard because it is waking people up. But when you're trying to talk to somebody who is not up to your speed, I've generally found that it's an important skill to have to know how much somebody is ready to listen to and not to go beyond that point, because then all the defense mechanisms kick in and they say, oh, conspiracy theory. And so you just want to feed them a little bit at a time, enough to get them thinking. And then if they're really interested, they'll come back to you and say, can you tell me a little more about what's going on? And that way your, your rate of rejection is not as high. Do you think that word conspiracy is just going to mean nothing anymore? Like it, there's a couple words. And I think that over time used to have a lot more impact. Like the word racist used to be something that was, and it's, it's a horrible thing to be called that, but eventually people were using it for no apparent reason. They were kind of, yeah, just, they burned it out. So they burned it out. I don't really ever see that word get mentioned a whole lot anymore. I think now they use it whenever Trump's name is mentioned and then they mention yes. it afterwards, but even then you don't get the same impact from the word. It's just like, it's died down. Yeah, the, uh, it's been overused, it's burned out, and uh, we have a lot of words like that. Uh, you know, uh, Israel's been shouting Holocaust for so long, people are just tuning out to say, okay, Holocaust, yeah, we've heard it before. Happened before I was born, thank you very much. Uh, racism is another one. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them right now. And uh, people are trying to figure their, their way through all of this new wokeness stuff and LGBTQ. And there's a, a growing fight between school districts and parents over who actually owns the children uh, when they're in school. And a lot of parents are very, very concerned about that. So they're waking up. They're starting to look around and see, uh, you know, there are abuses outside of uh, what's immediately happening to their children. So, uh, again, I, I really do think that our, our nation is becoming more skeptical, which is a healthy thing. Uh, they are uh, more willing to look at alternative uh, sources than the corporate media and the government. It's a slow process. Uh, but uh, it has the advantage of being nonviolent, at least so far. 
And when it comes to like the disinformation board, you know, those people that wanted to say that they're going to censor, that's the thing that gets me is like, <laughs> this is like, this is, I would say this would be a little bit more conspiratorial, but when I asked my buddy, like, he goes, yeah, you know, they put fluoride in the water. Right. And I was like, why? He goes, they care about your teeth, I guess. And I was like, why does the government care about my teeth? Like, it's just that weird question, but it's the disinformation board. Why does Google and all these internet sources want to ban horrible content that might, you know, risk our whatever children's eyes. And I just go, why does Google care? Google's a billion dollar company. I don't really think they care about what I'm being exposed to, you know? And it's like, it's like that it's those weird lines. Why is a capitalist corporation that seems to do a lot of horrible things caring about what you're looking at at the internet, unless they didn't like it. Yeah. Well, we know that corporate social media uh, is very left-leaning. Apparently, the other day, Elon Musk uh, found a closet at the Twitter headquarters filled with T-shirts that say, stay woke. So they're kind of telegraphing what they're doing. Uh, we now know, of course, that all of these social media companies have been in a handshake relationship uh, with the federal government. They are acting as agents of the government in trying to control what Americans are seeing, hearing, and reading, which means the First Amendment does apply to them. They've been saying all along, we're a private company. We can do whatever we want. Well, not when you're acting as an agent for the government. When you're acting as an agent for the government, the Bill of Rights applies. Do you think that independent, I guess, media, podcasts, TV, you know, people are starting their own networks or things of that sort. Do you think that's going to be the mainstream soon? Or do you think it's eventually just going to be something that's going to be start being banned? I mean, we still well, run off I, a lot I, of these platforms. I unfortunately tend to think the latter, you know, uh, on the day when uh, independent media is considered the mainstream, uh, the government will find some excuse to try and shut it down. Yeah, because I'm trying to think if there's maybe Twitter. I mean, Twitter's Elon Musk going Twitter. I don't see him as being a savior at all, but YouTube and all these other things that make co content guidelines to be able to distribute stuff. Odyssey is a good one. Um, Rumble's a good one as well, too. But even then, you still got to go through some different hoops or, you know, deal with something. I'm always having an account issue on Rumble or something like that, where the mainstream is YouTube. The mainstream is, I mean, Spotify is getting there. And it's kind of like you have the two. I mean, we're lucky with Spotify so far that the guy's like from Sweden or something. He doesn't care what gets put up on there because um, that's where some of the COVID stuff can go. It's like, well, how are we supposed to learn about these discussions and bring up obvious points that our people and government should be also addressing as well? Well, it's it's a bit of a race. It's a bit of a fight. You know, we had the established uh, social media. Then people became aware that it was being controlled and censored. And all of a sudden, we started seeing the new alternative media coming on up. And uh, the government's trying to control that. And there will be a new, newer uh, social media. So it's going to be kind of a technological race. Uh, and I think the giant globe-spanning social media networks are, are uh, going to fade away in favor of small, localized uh, social media platforms that are going to be dealing more with uh, immediate issues of community, your state, and so forth and so on. But uh, time will solve that mystery, and uh, all we can do is the best that we can do, uh, you know, until somebody makes us stop. The real question is we got to ask who paid the person who paid the piper? That's yes. the real one. Who gave that guy the money? But Michael, seriously, man, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I know we covered a very wide, uh, vast array of topics, but uh, is there a place where people can find your links? Uh, yeah, my website is whatreallyhappened.com. 
And I do a talk radio show on the Republic Broadcasting Network from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central U.S. time, Monday through Friday. And have you ever thought about making a film before? Uh, I've made a few small films, short films. Uh, you know, I came out of a filmmaking background. So, uh, yeah, I, I may do that at some point in the future. I see Netflix is getting a little bit easier with putting up some of the more, I guess, controversial stuff when it comes to some of the conspiracy. And they just put that new one up with Graham Hancock on Netflix. That one's getting a lot of people mad because everyone's like, it's rewriting history. It doesn't make sense. It's all a lie. But I see Netflix, you know, reaching out for more of those where I start wondering, I wonder if these streaming services are going to be the next platform that's going to actually start having like JFK stuff on it and a bunch of other things that just go against the official narrative. Well, uh, I would like to see that happen. Um, and uh, right now, the streaming industry is not doing as well as they would like uh, because of the economy. But um, uh, I think they'll survive somehow. Yeah. Well, I'm going to link all your links and link, Michael. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and thanks for listening to this episode. 